So to be really super upfront and clear, I never set out to write a self-care book. I did not want to write a memoir. I set out to save my life. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems Podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week, we're going to take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources to help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, hey, welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer and creator of the popular Big Kid Problems Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, all about the struggles of growing up. Guys, I am so excited about today's episode. I feel like we're really getting back to basics today. Today's episode is just everything I created this podcast for. It is so on brand. I feel like in the future when people are like, what's your podcast about? I'm just going to send them to this episode. Like That's how on brand it is. Today we have on Tara Schuster. She is a Hollywood executive turned author who just released her first book called By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies, all about the daily rituals that transformed her from a hot mess in her 20s to a fully functioning and dare I say, happy adult. Now this book, I read it so fast and I honestly was so compelled by Tara's story because it reminded me a lot of my own. She found herself in a deep hole in her 20s, completely lost, and slowly started trying little wellness practices to see what helped improve her life. And when things actually started working, she put it all into a book as kind of like a roadmap for anybody else who might be going through something similar. I mean, guys, that's literally how I got to starting this podcast. Like I wanted to do the exact same thing. And reading Tara's book was really cool for me because she has tools in her toolbox that are different from some of the tools in my toolbox. So I had to get her on the show today. We talk about things that have worked for us, reparenting, career advice. I mean, it's all the things I love to talk about. And Tara is so clear and honest. It is just a super refreshing combo. I think you guys are really going to enjoy. If you do enjoy this podcast, I'm going to ask you guys to share this one. Maybe send it to a friend or post it on your Instagram story. If you tag me, I always love reposting you guys. Maybe subscribe and leave a little five-star review while you're at it. I mentioned it last week, but we actually only have three more episodes after this week before I go on hiatus for my wedding and honeymoon. So your reviews and you sharing this podcast out are going to help keep the show alive. All right. With that, I say we just jump right into this one. You guys are really in for a treat this week. Get comfy and we will be right back. Guys, we're talking about little wellness practices and rituals to improve your life today. And it couldn't be more fitting to talk about one of my favorite daily rituals, popping a ritual multivitamin. If you guys don't know Ritual, it is a vegan-friendly, clean multivitamin formulated with nine key nutrients, including vitamin D3, iron, omega-3, B12, folate, and more to help fill gaps in the diet. The CEO actually created Ritual when she was pregnant and realized most supplements had too many fillers and mysterious products. So what you won't find in Ritual are sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, or artificial colorants. 
I started taking Ritual in the beginning of the year. I really wanted to get better at taking a multivitamin every single day. And I love that these capsules are minty fresh, so they go down easy. And they are also delayed release, so you can take them with or without food. I found when I have to wait to take a multivitamin with food, sometimes I just forget. So I love that I can wake up and pop these suckers and know that I am doing something nice for my body every single morning. Ritual multivitamins are also scientifically developed to help support different life stages. So they have formulations for specifically women, men, teens, and they even have a best-selling prenatal vitamin that people rave about. Ritual also makes healthy habits easy by delivering your multivitamin right to your door every month with free shipping. And you can start snooze or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. Get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash big kid to start your ritual today. All right, guys, welcome back to the Big Kid Problem Podcast. I am joined now by Tara Schuster. She is the Hollywood executive turned author of Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies and Other Rituals to Fix Your Life from someone who's been there. What a title. Love it. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm a legit fan. So I'm like stoked to be here. I can't believe that. I know. I'm so so honored because I actually, even just to kind of kick this interview off, I was so curious. You had such a powerhouse career at your age and I'm like low-key slash high-key super jealous. (laughs) Um, Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into Comedy Central. That's like my dream job. Yeah. So I, you know, I went to school for playwriting. I thought I was going to be like a New York City playwright and I'd be wearing a scarf and reading The New Yorker and drinking lattes. But by the time I graduated college, what my thesis advisor didn't tell me was that it is really hard to make a living as a playwright, like really, really hard. And so when I got to New York, I thought, and this is post-college, well, what's close to playwriting that I love? And TV was, was the thing. And so I got, I got really lucky and I got an internship at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And yeah, that was... And it was like peak Jon Stewart. Like he was on fire. The show was on fire. And as soon as I got one little foothold into that world. I was like, this is my jam. I could do this the rest of my life. And so I, you know, I write about this in my book, but it was really hard to impress the adults at The Daily Show. I mean, these are like the ultimate adults that you want to be. You know, they're the executive producers, they're the smartest people in the room. The writers are like the funniest people you've ever met. And so I'm just like this lowly intern. And I see that the other lowly interns are like doing bits and like trying to be funny in front of the executive producers in a weird misguided attempt to get discovered. And I'm like, that's not me. That's not my deal. So what would be my deal? And it just so happened um, that we had our intern lunch where one of the other interns asked John Stewart, how did you get your first big break? And John Stewart and I have to call him John Stewart because I do not know him as John. Like I gotta, <laughs> gotta say the full name, John Stewart. He very quickly replied, There are no big breaks, just a series of little breaks. It's your job to work your hardest and your best at every little break. So I was like, okay, what would be my little break at the Daily Show? And I noticed that the coffee machine that John Stewart used to make himself a capsule coffee before he recorded the show was often dirty, broken, had an ominous red light flashing. And I was like, oh shit, this is my little big break. I fucking jammed on that coffee machine. I was like, make sure it was had plenty of water, was clean, had all the capsules perfectly arranged. I bought a model similar at home so that I physically knew how to fix it. <laughs> it was like kind of psychotic. But by the end of my internship, I had become known as the person who could fix the single most important piece of equipment in any creative environment, obviously the coffee machine. And so they, they saw that. They saw my hustle. They saw that I could take one thing and really take responsibility for it. And they got me my first job at Comedy Central. And it's I use 
my job ended up obviously being much bigger than cleaning the coffee machine. I ended as the um, vice president of talent and development where I oversaw shows like Kian Peel and David Spade Show. But it really always was about the coffee machine. It was all, like it was always about taking what's in front of me and how can I add value? How can I add value to this team? How can I bring us to the next level? What, what work needs to be done? And I really did that at, at every level of that job. Um, and, and that's sort of, you know, I, I think there's a lot of discussion, like a lot of people ask me, how'd you, how'd you get there? Like, what was the, the big thing? And it's the exact same John Stewart reply. There was no any one big thing. It was just the decision to be the best at the worst at every single stage. That is so awesome. I feel like it's such a good thing for people to hear, you know, and especially like not to take, not to take some of these smaller things that seem like the stupidest task, you know, uh, sometimes that can be like a huge, a huge stepping stool. I yeah, love that it's, story. It's, it's funny because in Hollywood in particular, people get bummed out with like, oh, I'm like getting the coffee. I'm getting people their sandwiches. I'm like, be the fucking best at getting people their sandwiches. Make it a delight that all the sandwiches are perfect, that you've given them to everyone because that's how people notice. That's how they notice you. That's how they see that you take pride in your work because you actually do. And the other thing that people take for granted is that those opportunities, nobody else is fighting for. Hmm. People, people might be fighting you for a promotion up the road. Nobody is fighting you for the coffee machine. Like there's zero competition. So you can really have a huge impact and not even really have to fight for that. Um, it, it, it can just be a gift to you. That is so funny. Such good advice. Did John Stewart ever like recognize you for fixing the coffee machine? You know, it's funny. He never recognized me for fixing the coffee machine. But several years later, when I was a little further into my career, I, I was a digital producer at Comedy Central. And I came back to The Daily Show to do a live stream with um, the comedian Wyatt Snack. And I was like in the hallways and John Stewart looked at me and he was like, you, I know you. And I was like, what, me? You, you, you recognize me? And he was like, I know you, right? How do I know you? And I was like, I was an intern here. And I'll never forget it. He said, how are you? And just the fact that John Stewart asked how I was it meant everything to, to be seen by your <laughs> idols and for them to be kind, to take one minute to be kind. It, it was a huge moment in my life and something that I kind of took with me. You know, hopefully I'll never be at the John Stewart level, but I really take a lot of pride in making sure I am that kind of kind because John Stewart taught me. Ugh, what a legend, John Stewart. I mean, I know the, I, best. the best. And those like glory days of the Daily Show. There's nothing. Ugh. There's nothing that compares to it. I honestly, I blame John Stewart because I went into political science like in college. <laughs> like I made that my major because I was fooled into thinking I was interested in that because of how good <laughs> the Daily Show was. He he made it bearable. You know, yeah. he made, he made politics bearable. Um. And what a legacy. I mean, I love The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. It, he's, I'm obsessed with him. It's, it's a totally different show, but, but I love that too. But yeah, John Stewart, icon, legend. He wouldn't know me if I ran into him today, but him just seeing me, somebody cool seeing you can, can mean everything. That's so awesome. Okay, so we, we need to talk about your book because obviously like for anybody who's getting to know you on this podcast, you, you've had this like, great career. You know, you got into this situation early and your career life was amazing. But it kind of sounds like the impetus of this book was that other things weren't so amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> tell us yeah. a little bit about it and um, and like why you wanted to write this. Yeah. So to be really super upfront and clear, I never set out to write a self-care book. I did not want to write a memoir. I set out to save my life. That was what was behind all of this. I grew up in a neglected house where things came to die. Uh, any pet we had was either carried away by coyotes, went missing. A family of deer mysteriously died in the pool. All of the grass shriveled. The orchids that came free with purchase of house died. 
the house wasn't under some mystery hex. It was really just that neglected. There weren't parents taking care of children. Luckily, my sister and I, we made it out. But by the time I was 25, I really had no idea how to take care of myself. You know, I hadn't internalized it because I, it hadn't been taught to me. And so I was starting this job at Comedy Central. I was like on the, on the bottom rung of the entertainment ladder and, and doing pretty well because I had always used external validation as a way to prove my worth and to find adults who would take care of me in the form of teachers and librarians. So, so I was really, really good at work, but I was really bad at living. So I'd, I'd go to work and I'd, I'd make it through my day only to openly sob on the subway. If you were in Manhattan in those years and around, um, I guess it'd be like 2008, 2009, I might have been the girl mysteriously crying on your stoop. Like it was, it was just ridiculous anxiety and depression. I, I, I could feel my anxiety in my chest as this little mean bullet of worry that I literally would try to knead out with my hand. So now I was the girl on 6th Avenue, like with her hand and her armpit and on her breast, like just like trying to get the anxiety out. And I might've continued to go on this way had I not hit rock bottom on my 25th birthday when I drunk dialed my therapist and threatened to hurt myself. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. read this in your book and you said you kind of woke up and like didn't remember doing it at all. Nope. Can you imagine like, like looking at your phone and seeing missed calls to your therapist? <laughs> oh, I, I can imagine because it happened and it was miserable. Like it was a fully shocking moment because my therapist was this perma-calm, vaguely European woman who always had a cup of tea and a placid smile. Like she wasn't worried about shit. And, but in her messages, she took my threat so seriously that she was trying to find me and get me to a hospital. Damn. That and, is a sobering. That is sobering. Yeah. It was super sobering. And that morning I decided if I don't change my life, I am not going to have much more of a life to live. I didn't know how. Like I, I didn't, I had no idea how I could fix, like quote unquote, fix my life. That sounded really overwhelming. I didn't have mentors to ask. Like there was no wise adults to go to and I couldn't ask my parents. So I just decided I am going to go fully school work project on this bitch. Like I know how to make a Google doc. I know how to make a presentation. I am just going to read every book I can, listen to any adult I can find who I think is somewhat with it. I am going to take notes on what they say to do and I'm going to track my progress. So I started this Google Doc. It began, it began with um, a curriculum of reparenting myself and self-care. That was what I titled it. And this was before self-care was like even a thing. Like, I somehow like intuited that like these words, reparenting, like I needed to give myself the parenting I never had. Self-care, like I, I needed to learn just how to take care of myself. I put plastered that on the top of the Google Doc and then I asked my questions. What are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? Like genuinely, what are they and which one should I be eating? And I attacked it. I, I read memoirs like they were self-help books. I asked my friend's parents um, about how they fed their children and, and like kind of creepily watched them at their family dinners and took little notes. And I did this for five years. And at the end of five years, I had a 600-page Google Doc. And I felt like a completely different person, like someone I wanted to be like someone who wasn't running away from their life, but who wanted to live it. And that is when I realized I had a story to tell. I had something to share with people on that road. And, and so that's the, the book. I, again, like never set out to write it. It was more this desperate act to save my life. And when it worked out, I just thought, I know there are other people who weren't neglected, who may, maybe had parents who nurtured the shit out of them but who still feel kind of worthless, 
who still don't know how to take care of themselves. And my hope is that the book is a guidebook, a friend, just a fucking laugh. If if it's just a laugh in this dark world, I'll take that. But my goal really is to make people feel less alone in their experience. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so awesome what you were able to get in this book. And that's so cool that you tracked your experience from the beginning. I mean, even just reading it, like I felt so many parallels to my own story and like why I started big kid problems, basically. Like, you know, I wasn't necessarily crying on the subway, but I had my cry spots around New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Where were your cry spots? Starbucks bathroom, always. (laughs) Starbucks bathroom, Bryant Park, because I used to live by Bryant Park. So I would like, I would walk around so I wasn't stationary so that people could like watch me crying. I would like... One case the, the perimeter and cry that way so that like people weren't staring. Um, but anyway, I, I love that you were you tracked so many of these things. And that's basically like why I started this podcast is I wanted to like share the tools um, and rituals that worked for me. So I loved and actually reading yours, I was like, oh, I haven't tried these. So I would love to kind of hear about some of the rituals, maybe where you started, um, maybe mm-hmm. some things that surprised you and some things that really kind of helped you turn your life around. Yeah, it's, I love them. That's why I love your podcast and all your, also your Instagram so much is I, I relate to you, like just wanting to figure it out. Like, how do we do this? And then how do we share it? And one of the tools I like to share the most is journaling, which, you know, when I was first, when someone told me at first that I should journal, I was like, only broken narcissist journal. You know, thank you. That's also, it's too much time. I don't have time to fucking journal. I'm barely getting to work. Like, fuck you. Like, and, and that's something anyone who reads my book, you should know in advance. I did not want to do a single one of these rituals. Anything healthy that is good, I was like resisting it to the extreme because it seemed too hard for me. But because on a good day, I was openly weeping on the subway, I decided, okay, I'm going to try journaling. And what I found out pretty quickly was that journaling is the fastest way that you can build self-awareness. It is the fastest way to notice how you actually feel, where you are actually wounded, I call it DMing with your soul. Like you can pretty quickly get those semi-sneaky messages from yourself when you are journaling. And so now for me, I don't have time not to journal. I no longer have time not to know um, my mood. And so what I suggest to people is that they... The way I do it is I do three pages every morning. If you and and it's unedited, I'm not trying to make a story. It's not for anybody else. It's just for me. If three pages sounds scary, three sentences would be enough. You really, it's just about building a practice of self awareness. So journaling is probably my number one favorite shortcut to to self care. Mm. I love that's one of my big ones too. But you hit on something that I I actually wanted to ask you about because yeah. I even after years and years of doing this shit like there are there are I'm not even going to say days because like it's more like weeks and months that happen where I'm like I don't want to fucking do this anymore and I I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm like not in the mood. Like I'm just yeah. not in the mood especially right now like I was yeah. getting ready for this interview I'm like I am not in the mood to meditate, to do my journaling, to do all these things that I know work. So yeah. how do you how have you gotten to a place where you like do this all the time and you're so consistent? Yeah, I mean it's a great question and and the first thing I'd say is if you are not in the mood, the last thing you want to do is ever beat yourself up about not wanting to do something because the my whole message is let's be kind to ourselves. So I never want, you know, on my Instagram, I'm, I'm doing a journaling challenge right now um, with my community. And somebody was like, oh my God, I didn't do the prompt yesterday. I'm such a loser. I can't believe it. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Please do not weaponize these self-care tools. Like this is not an invitation to find more faults with yourself. So the first thing I'd say is like, respect for when I don't want to do something. I just don't do it. I'm like, okay, I really don't want to do this. Guess what? I really don't want to do this. For me, however, my basic self-care tools, which would be um, journaling, the gratitude practice, and meditation, 
and exercise. Those, those are like the four things I always do. Those are just such a part of my habits now. They're so just baked into my schedule that I don't really have an option not to do them. So that's been my hack is just literally in my Google calendar, it says when I'm supposed to do these things. And in COVID, one of the silver linings for me has been, I have a little more control over my schedule, over like when meetings are. So I'm not putting meetings right around journaling time. Journaling time is the priority. Like my, my mental health is my priority. So that's, that shit's got to move. And it's been a little easier this year for me to be able to do that. So I'd say first, forgive yourself. Don't, there's no reason to beat yourself up about a self-care tool. That is like the opposite of what we are trying to achieve here. And then the second thing is, how can you bake it into your schedule so that it's a habit that you don't have to think about? You can just be on autopilot about self-care. Yeah. Did you, um, cause I, I feel like I remember reading this, but like, do you, did you make time in the morning? I feel like so many of us have, have schedules where I'm like, I like physically can't even wrap my brain around adding anything to it because I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off 90% of the time. Um, Is that when you typically do it in the morning? Yes. So I carved out... And again, I'm just not like a woo-woo person who is always into the mornings and spirituality. Like, fuck that. I have been grinding at a corporate job for a decade. Like, I just want to be real clear that that is my context. But I knew I really wanted to do these things and I really wanted to have better mental health. So I started by waking up 10 minutes earlier. I just carved out 10 minutes. Could I, instead of thinking, I need an hour to do these rituals, it was like, can I do 10 minutes? And over time, I could do 10 minutes. I could do 10 minutes. I could do 10 minutes. Like then I was able to, oh, can I do 15? Can I do 20? And I pulled it back to be able to steal one hour out of my day in the morning. And I would add to this, I have insomnia. Like I am, I'm not like a good sleeper. This isn't like ideal. And yet it changed my life. I mean, my mental health now compared to where it was, it's like a fucking joke. Like hmm. I, some, sometimes I'm like, wait, well, huh? And, and so really, but I really do think a lot of it came from blocking off time in the morning for me to be with me before Instagram, before Facebook, before the concerns of the world come at me. And when I skip it, because sometimes it's just too crazy. I got to skip it. I can't do it those days, I notice a big difference. I am way more irritable. I don't feel as like accomplished. Like I, like I feel like I've compromised in some way. And it's because I have, mm. you know, I've compromised on the thing that really grounds me. So if you can steal back any amount of time in the morning, and, and I, I new moms ask me this all the time in particular, how, how can they have more time in the morning? And now I've talked to a lot of moms about this. And the answer that I've found the most frequently is you just have to make it. It sucks. It's not like a fun, cool, easy thing. But just like in all things, you don't have time until you make time, no Mm. matter your circumstance. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I know we're talking about rituals today and I have a new hair care ritual thanks to pros. If you don't know about pros, you need to. They have you take this super in-depth hair quiz to then create the perfect formula of shampoo, conditioner, and other hair care products customized just for you. I took this hair quiz and I was stunned. I mean, they factor in things like how often you get your hair color treated, the thickness and density of your hair, the dryness of your scalp. I mean, they even factor in things like where you live to factor in things like humidity and pollution exposure. With their algorithm and over 50 billion formula combinations, pros determine a unique blend of ingredients to treat my exact concerns. Like I'm used to just buying blonde shampoo or shampoo for thick hair. And this is just a whole other level. I got my personalized shampoo and conditioner and was also recommended a scalp treatment since I often see flakes. And guys, 
My hair is so much softer and stronger. It's actually insane. I also just recently got their hair oil, which is perfect to help fight that Nashville humidity. It is just amazing the difference I have seen in my hair in such a short period of time. And I only wish I had made the switch sooner. So if you want to get down with the healthy hair regimen with your name written all over it, Take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash big kid. That's pros, P-R-O-S-E dot com slash big kid for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off today. And now that we're kind of like all jazzed up on <laughs> making time for ourselves and doing some some of these rituals, I'd love to get in a couple more. Um, there was one you mentioned, and it's funny because I actually just did another podcast where this was brought up. But how when you were kind of getting started, you figured out your guiding principles. Mm, can mm-hmm. you talk? Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I had never, I've never heard of this. But when I was reading it, I was like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should try this little practice. I love this one. And it's one of the things I I speak a lot now. And this is one of my favorite topics to speak on, which is how many of us ever ask, what are my principles? What are my values? Where do I get my self-esteem from? Like We know that those are important, big words. They're like the kind of words you would see um, in a conference room, right? With With like a painting of an eagle flying over a mountaintop like principles. We, we know on some level they're very important, but we take basically no time beyond kindergarten when you're like reading a book about it to decide for ourselves what we believe in. And so one of the practices I have in the book is making a map of yourself. So at the bottom of the map, I have the three places I derive my self-esteem from. And that is writing, exercise, and being a good friend. And it's really important that we choose things where we get our self-esteem from that are not linked to external validation because that can always be taken away from you. Mm. It, can't, it can't be that I have a great job. It can be that I am good at work. Like I am a, I am a diligent worker. It can't be my husband. It can be I am loving. It's, it's got to be something that can only come from you that can never be taken away from. And it gave me such relief to choose where I get my self-esteem from. Because now if I know those, those are the three places, exercise, work, being a good friend. Now I know how to kind of take care of myself and, and how do I build self-respect? I consistently do those three things. Mm. So that's the base level. And it really kind of reprioritizes your day. You know, exercise is a fundamental part of me because it makes me feel really good and proud of myself. So if that's the self-esteem, if that's one of my pillars of self-esteem, then I'm going to prioritize it over watching TV or, you know, something else that really doesn't matter. That's like fluff and nice, but, but doesn't matter. So that's the bottom of the chart. The middle of the chart is my principles. Like, how do I live my life? How do I want to live my life? And the way I figured it out is I, um, I went to a shaman in... Um, I didn't do that at all. I Googled what are principles. I just Googled <laughs> what are principles and which ones should I have? And I looked at like lists and lists and I decided my six principles. And I think everybody should get really good at knowing what do you stand for? Like, what matters to you? So for me, um, you know, I've got um, gratitude in there. Gratitude is really important to me. And, and right after, I, after, so it's gratitude is the principle, then how do I express it? Like, so, so it's like principle and then the how. And the how I express gratitude is in words to people, not in my head. I tell a person when I am grateful for them, I make, I write thank you cards. Like it's a very active part of my life. And if you have trouble knowing what your principles are, or you think like, well, I'm not, I'm not exactly grateful, you still put it on the chart because you are working on cultivating that. So I can share a personal one with you, which is I always wanted to be a more generous person. 
And for like, so I put generosity as one of my principles, even though I wasn't myself generous. Mm. I, I knew that's what I wanted to work towards. And it took a couple of years, but now I would say like, I am generous because I was actively working on it, thinking on it, trying to make it come true. And then at the top of the list, I have what I want said about me when I am dead, which is a very morbid way to look at it, but it's also a fucking gift and a shortcut. Because like, if today you can identify what you want said about you, what you want your legacy on planet Earth to have been, you can start working towards that person right this very second. And you can quickly see like, if you're far off, if you're like, I want to be remembered as a writer who is like a great mother and a great friend, but you're in a banking job with no prospects of dating, you can very quickly see like, oh, okay, I'm pretty far away from how I want to be remembered. What are the little steps I can start to take towards being the person I want to be? And it doesn't have to be so serious either. At the top of my chart, one of the things I have is chic kind of French. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it, it can, it can also be like, like all everything in my book. Like I, I want you to have fun with it. Um, yeah. I love this so much because it's one of those things. And I, I want to give more of these practices to our listeners. Like this isn't something you have to do every day. Like this is a one time, like sit down, you know, after listening to this podcast, whip up Google, like what are principles? Like, I feel like that's something I can do in an afternoon and like start to just kind of write this stuff down. And I, I, I love that. Like I, it's not something you have to commit to every day of your life. It's just a fun little thing. And the way that it actually can really become a part of your life without you having to do much work. Like you said, take the afternoon after you listen to this podcast, take an hour, set a timer and just do this for only one hour and then no more, but complete it. And then just post it somewhere where you might glance at it. Mm. And even the noticing the noticing what you wrote builds self-awareness and naturally brings these things into your life because you are forced to remember and to not get so distracted. Our days are full of all the shit we have to do, errands, plans, emails. If we can just come back like once in a while to, oh, those were my principles. Oh, that was my self-esteem. That's how I want to be remembered. It it really starts to have it have a almost magical effect on your life, but it's not magic. It's just you're noticing what you actually want and what you actually want to stand for. Yeah. And we all know that there's days that uh, we could all use a reminder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's me today, actually. It's like, Same. <laughs> I need to go stand in front of my chart. <laughs> I need to make... I'm having like one of those weeks, let me tell you. I think everybody's having one of those weeks. I know. I, I think I, I Googled like, is Mercury in retrograde? And it was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, your life just sucks. It just sucks this week. <laughs> yeah. One thing I really wanted to talk to you about too is... I mean, I mean, I know we just had Mother's Day um, and you talk a lot about like reparenting and that whole like parenting wound um, that I know that you experienced that I'm sure a lot of people have experienced. Like uh, we haven't really talked about reparenting on this podcast. I'd love to, you know, maybe you, you tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, your experience growing up with your parents and then how you were able to reparent yourself. I love this question because I think that reparenting is not only something that people who had traumatic childhoods like mine need, but basically everyone. Because it doesn't really matter if your parents um, neglected you or nurtured the shit out of you. They aren't capable of giving you everything you need. Like it's an impossible task. Even though we love our parents and they're amazing and they're heroes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It would be impossible for any person outside of you to give you everything you need because they are not you. They, we are, if we're all unique, then they are not you. They do not know what you need. And so as we grow, the invitation of reparenting is to continue to be your own parent, to give yourself the nurturing you now need, right? Because like as we grow, life experiences are different. So you can give yourself what you now need. And also you can go back and give yourself what you didn't get. So that's reparenting as a concept. And for me, it's really something quite active. You know, I'm right now I'm 
this isn't in the book at all, but I'm, I'm starting to understand my sleep better. I'm like, why has my sleep been super fucked up my whole life? Like, why can't I sleep? And I finally kind of, it's funny. I wrote wrote this whole self-care book where I'm doing all these rituals. I'm not sleeping the entire time. I sleep five hours a night. I think that's normal. About a month ago, I was like, hold on. I think other people sleep more than me. I should get this checked out. I went to a sleep disorder clinic and they were like, oh yeah, you're chronically, you have chronic insomnia and you're chronically sleep deprived. You also might have sleep apnea. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? But the thing is like, what parent, like no outside figure could have told me that this was an issue. I needed to see like, oh, that's not right. I can fix this. I am not an adult. I can now take the necessary actions. I can be responsible for my life. And so now... I'm teaching myself um, better sleep, how to get to sleep with the help of experts because I'm a goddamn adult and I can call upon experts now. And and that's kind of the beauty of it is like when you're a kid, you're pretty helpless. You don't have any power. You don't have any autonomy. You don't have any money. You've got no resources. You're at the will and whim of your parents. For most people, this is fine and great. For some of us, that is not a fine and great situation. But for all of us, we continue to come to places in our life where we need a little help. So so reparenting at the end of the day is you are giving yourself the help you most need. You are taking responsibility for your life. You are taking responsibility for your narrative. And sometimes people say to me, well, isn't it sad that you don't have a relationship with your parents? Isn't that sad? Doesn't that make you sad? Someone recently told me, I was on a hike with someone and I just met them and they said, that's tragic. That's so tragic. And it's, it, I laughed out loud at the person because I was like, oh, I don't see my life as tragic. I see this as beautiful. I, I was give, you know, I didn't ask for the situation, but once given, I took responsibility and I really like my life now. And that's what I hope readers take away is it really doesn't matter. This sounds so cliche, but it, it really doesn't matter what you were handed out at the beginning. If you can take responsibility and decide I'm worth taking care of, I'm going to do it myself, you open up this like joyful, beautiful, flowy life. And the only way that I can like prove it is because I am living that life and there's no fucking reason I should be. Like this doesn't even make sense other than I did the work which is all it is. It's just work. It's not magic. It's not anything special about me. It's just deciding I'm worth it. I'm going to do it. Mm. When it w- with that whole reparenting concept, because I'm new to this, like I, I kind of heard of this recently. Like, are you, I know you're taking responsibility to take care of yourself. Is it like in the way that you talk to yourself? Like, how does it, how does it actually look? Like, are you kind of talking to yourself as if you were a parent? Or I think I've heard different ways of doing this. Like, what does it look like for you? It's a great question. Yeah, there are so many different ways to do it. And I do it in every single facet of my life. So part of it is how I talk to myself when I have a negative or limiting belief. Um, like, you will not find love. Instead of like dismissing it, Like think about one way a shortcut would be think about how you would talk to a friend. If your friend said to you, Sarah, I am never going to find love. Would you say, that's right, bitch. (laughs) Die alone. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Depending on the friend. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. You probably wouldn't have a friend for much longer. Um, You might say, oh, sweetheart you have so much love already in your life. You've dated so many people. You are full of love. There is more love to come. However you would comfort a friend or or another way to think about it is if a little girl scraped her knee and was crying or was scared of something and said, Sarah, I'm so scared about this project. I'm really scared nobody's going to like it. I'm going to be a failure. Would you say, you're stupid. Like you're stupid and yeah, you're going to fail. Or would you say, oh, oh, sweetheart, I'm, I'm so sorry. I know you're scared, but it's going to be okay. 
those are the reactions we're looking to cultivate in ourselves is mm. the sweet hurt. It's okay. You're going to be fine. Because actually, when we take that step back, we see that is true. We have so many limiting beliefs. And something I want to scream from the mountaintops is you do not have to believe your beliefs. They are simply beliefs. They're not the truth. They're just weird little thoughts. So if your weird little thoughts suck and are sucking life out of you, you can just remember this thought that I'm a failure, this thought that I'm not doing enough, this thought that I'm never going to measure up or find the person, etc. is just a weird belief and I don't need to believe it anymore. And then I always nurture myself like I would that little girl. So in a really physical way and something that a lot of my readers have benefited from is I put my hand on my heart and I say, it's okay, sweetheart. Hmm. It's okay. You're okay. You're going you're gonna to be fine. You actually are fine in this moment. There's nothing to worry about. I treat myself as tenderly as I would treat the little girl version of me. And that's at the root of reparenting. You know, it, in the book, I go through a lot more how do we uncover what you need to reparent, what are different areas you need to reparent. But if you just wanted to start cultivating some more kindness in yourself today, it's really just when do you find yourself attacking yourself? Hmm. And can you bring a little kindness to that? Uh, that is so awesome. Thank you for breaking that down and making it really easy. Like I'm realizing, I'm like, I guess I've kind of been reparenting myself just because I made that shift like a couple years ago. Like I now when I start to have like a really bad negative thought pattern, I'll I'll change the thoughts from like I suck or like me talking to myself as an I, 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 as in you, you, you. Like you're going to be okay. Like you are so smart. I kind of just, yeah. I've started to change my inner thought monologue to be like, I like to call it like, I am my own best friend kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Because truly you are. I mean, I'm sure anyone listening to this can relate to how much do you talk to yourself every day? Is it not constant? Are you not in a constant dialogue with yourself? And can you imagine, like if we step back and we're like, and how much negative, how much negativity we fill that dialogue with, like how wouldn't that have an effect on us? Like, like why wouldn't that be a deeply upsetting way to live? So I love how, how you term it, um, being your own best friend. You know, that it's very aligned with reparenting. It's the same thing, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Another important ritual for me, barbecue season, baby. Guys, summer is so close. I can taste it. And speaking of taste, if you're looking for the highest quality, humanely raised meat, it's time to get yourself a subscription to ButcherBox. I've been using ButcherBox since before they were a sponsor of this show. I mean, since I moved last year, I found that it can be hard to find high quality, humanely raised meat. I was spending so much time looking at and trying to understand labels and was so excited when I finally heard about ButcherBox. Every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to my home. Things like 100% grass-fed finished beef, free-range organic chicken, humanely raised pork or wild-caught salmon, which can be pricey and just hard to find at the grocery store. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals. And you can customize your box or just go with one of theirs. And when you sign up now with ButcherBox, you get a free barbecue bundle in your first box, which has two New York strip steaks, six burgers, and five pounds of drumsticks, all for free in your first box. I mean, that is several dinners right there. And that is a huge savings. And speaking of savings, when you order ButcherBox, it comes out to just about $6 a meal. So not only is it super high quality and convenient, it's also affordable. It has made figuring out dinner at our house so much easier. And I am a true fangirl. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members a free barbecue bundle in their first box. So again, that is two free New York strip steaks, six burgers, and five pounds of drumsticks all for free in your first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash BKP. That's butcherbox.com slash BKP to get a free barbecue bundle in your first box today. 
One thing that you kind of just reminded me of too, I saw this on your Instagram recently and I loved it. When you started talking about moods, because you just reminded me of when you were like, you were talking about little, you know, talking yourself like a little kid. Can you share this insight about like your moods and why they're, you know, you should kind of, I don't know the word. Uh, treat. Be, be easy with your moods. Like let, let your moods go. Yes, basically. thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I, in the pandemic, I was uh, quarantining with my best friend and her three little girls who are under the age of three. Like she got, she's got some kids. <laughs> and I went there to um, help her. Uh, her and her husband are fantastic, but you could use a little extra help uh, when you've got three under three. And one day, the eldest daughter starts screaming, like screaming, tantrum, upset, crying, earth is shattering because her, the crackers I have just made for her with cheese, she is afraid there won't be enough of them. Relatable. She, <laughs> she, she, like she hasn't touched one. She has an entire plate, but she is worried that it won't be enough. And she's screaming and freaking out about these crackers. Like her life is going to end. And like one hour later, she is fine. And she says, do you know what unicorns are made out of? And I'm like, what, Maya? And she's like, they're made out of kisses and hugs and ice cream. This same little girl who was like the biggest terror on planet Earth is the adorable little girl who's telling me about fucking unicorns. And what I realized is like, these moods are just completely passing and you do not need to take them so seriously. We get so grim about, oh, I'm in such a bad mood. That thing didn't happen that I wanted to happen. And now my whole day has been out of shape and I'm in this thought loop and your whole day is ruined. Another approach to a bad mood would be to say, oh, I'm in a bad mood. This doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, and honestly, that amount of self-awareness and like, oh, hello, bad mood. Like, I see you. Oh, okay. This fucking sucks. You suck. I don't like how this feels, but I'm okay with it. I can hang out with this mood. You don't really matter. That amount of self-awareness releases you. And with practice, really releases you so that we're not just subject to like these ups and downs of our moods anymore, but we can be just like a little more chill, a little more friendly with our life. And I want to be really clear that I'm not saying dismiss how you actually feel. It's, it's really not about saying like denying reality. It's more being playful with it. Like, yeah, you're here. I see you. And you don't have to take over my day. Yeah knowing that it's like a temporary emotion and that like it's, you're going to get through it. <laughs> yeah. And then in an hour, like Maya, the little girl, you might see things completely differently and be walking up to people and talking about fucking unicorns. <laughs> that could be you. <laughs> when in doubt, just, uh, just imagine unicorns. Uh-huh. One thing I also, I, I really liked that you were kind of going back to some of these rituals that you talked about that really kind of changed your life. And you're, especially in the beginning when I feel like, you know, you're going from hot mess express and it, it, can, be, <laughs> it can be a hard uh, road. And I know one of the things you talked about was how you, you had been self-medicating and how you realized like, you know, that how that was problematic. So I'll let you kind of like tell that story. <laughs> Yeah. So if we go back to kind of the beginning where I'm, I'm good at work, bad at life. So every day I'd be hustle, 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 grind, 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 grind at work. Yay. Applause. You did a good job. Get home, crying, anxious, depressed. Now I'll self-medicate. So I would smoke ridiculous amounts of weed. Like, you know that how they're like, you can't be addicted to weed. Well, I'm the bitch who was addicted to weed. <laughs> like, let me tell you. You can be, or Pinot Noir. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have three glasses and watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and numb out on this shit. Because I really thought that my life was something to get through. Mm -hmm. like I'm gonna get through this. Um, and fortunately for me, weed, which was my number one crutch, started to make me sick, like physically ill, paranoid as fuck. 
it just wasn't working anymore. But because it had worked for so long, I really wanted it. So I, I, w- I would like smoke and be like, I want this to, to feel good. And every single time I was like, bitch, this doesn't work for you. You are now nauseous, suffer. So I finally got to the point where I was like, I just have to admit it. It's really sad, but weed no longer works for me. I, and I can't smoke anymore. It just hurts too bad. So what I did was I put post-it notes around my whole apartment that said, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, but weed no longer works. I'm so sorry, sweetheart, but if you smoke weed, you're going to want to throw up. Like I put these everywhere. I threw away my pipe and my weed and I then dumped some Greek yogurt on top of it in the trash can (laughs) so that I wouldn't humiliate myself by like digging it out. And I rewarded myself from stepping away from my crutch. So that that whole kind of like six months, I would get myself um, always by myself the lilies. But especially then, I would get myself the $10 um, little mini massage with my manicure. I, I went out of my way to treat myself well because I was doing something that was really hard for me. And I think people might have a difficult time finding what their crutch is. So a shortcut I have for deciding, is this a crutch or is this just like a quote unquote fun thing that I do? Is if you catch yourself saying, I had a hard week, I deserve this. I got in a fight with my boyfriend. I'm, I deserve this. That's probably not great. Because you just eliminated all my favorite things. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But we, you know, we don't justify healthy things. We like listen to this statement. Like, I, I had a hard day at work. I deserve this water. <laughs> I had, a, you know, like I had a hard day at work. I deserve to work out. You don't justify the healthy things. You only justify the things that you already know are a little problematic. And so, well, Sarah, I don't want to take away all your fun things. I would just say that like, which, which are you using those states, statements with and which are having a negative impact on you? Like, which are like, we all know that numb feeling. Like, which ones are giving you that like, ooh, I'm numbed out and I'm not here kind of feeling. And those are the ones that with a little bit of practice, with a little bit of kindness to ourselves, we can step away from and realize they're not helping. Like if the crutch worked, I'd be like, yeah, fucking go for it. Who cares? Yeah, that's healing you. Go for it. The issue with the crutch is it just doesn't work ultimately. So then it's just getting in your way. So... We want to identify what is my crutch. And we can do that through the I deserve statements. Like those are our warning signs. Then does it make me feel like numbed out from my life? Is it, is it getting in the way a little bit? If yes, then I would find ways to make deals with yourself to step away from it. Like with weed, it was like, if I don't smoke weed this week, then... I get to go hang out with my friends. Like I did like an old school reward system on it. You know, like gold stars to me. That shit works. If it worked in grade school, it's going to work now. <laughs> That's so true. I like go through life by giving myself rewards all the time. It's a, it's a great... I'm like... of the I, I would like on my tombstone to say... She loved the reward system. <laughs> because I'm like the biggest proponent of like, yeah... Yeah, yeah. Reward yourself. That was hard. You deserve a treat. I love treats. I love treats too. <laughs> Speaking of treats, because I know you, you just mentioned it too. I you That was the name of your book. Like lilies were a treat for you. Yeah. And I'd love to hear why you named your book Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies. And also, I mean, you talked about this whole concept of like not skimping on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I like, I feel like we cannot wrap this in- interview up without talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. I really believed at my core that I wasn't valuable, that no one had taken care of me. So thus, I must be worthless. Because when you're growing up, the first things you learn about yourself are what your parents mirror to you. So growing up neglected, I just figured, oh, I deserve to be neglected. Like, this is what I deserve. And so it would manifest itself in these really weird ways where like, 
I was now climbing the corporate ladder. I was producing for Key and Peele. I, you know, was going to like fancy Hollywood parties, but I'd be like, do I deserve three ply toilet paper? Or like, can I just use these paper towels from the kitchen? Like, what's really the difference? Like, weird, weird skimping out on the basics. Um, and another reason for that was just the basics weren't really valued in my house. So I didn't even think like, oh no, it's a pretty good thing to have enough toilet paper at home. So one of the biggest things I had to learn was just like basic how to take care of yourself. And it would really manifest itself when I went to Trader Joe's because I would see lilies, which are my absolute favorite flower in the whole wide world. I love how they burst open with perfume and they just make any room instantly elegant and calm. So I'd see the lilies in their bucket of water and I'd fall in love and I'd grab them and and put them in my shopping cart. And then immediately I would be seized with, you don't deserve lilies. These are too expensive. This is going to be like the downfall of your finances. Like weird, like crazy doom scenario. So I'd take the flowers and I ditched them between the kale and pita chips. And after like years of this, after all of the reparenting, one day I was in Trader Joe's and I was just like, fuck this. I am worth $7 lilies. I am worth the thing that instantly makes my life better. And if I'm not worth $7 lilies, why the fuck am I working so hard at my job? And it was like a huge turning point because I realized we are worth the small attainable luxuries that make our lives better. We are worth those things that just bring a little joy. Like it doesn't need to be a part of a bigger plan. It can just make you happier. And I I learned not to skimp out on myself that by treating myself with such scarcity, I was only hurting myself. It was not making me stronger. Again, if denying myself worked... I would have just continued to do that, but it was making me more and more brittle. So, you know, as I talk to readers, I hear all kinds of things that are people's lilies. It's like an order of guac with my tacos, fresh blueberries. These are things people beat themselves up and deny themselves and say, I'm not worth it. And my message is you are worth the guac. You are worth the blueberries. You know, it's not going to ruin you. It's going to make you stronger. Oh, so good. I mean, I read that and I, I related so hard. And I'm curious if there's anything... I mean, I know all of the rituals are so important and it all kind of has a culminating effect. But like, did you do anything to trick yourself into, into getting out of that scarcity mindset? Oh my God, so many tricks. All of the tricks, all of my attention at it. But I'd say probably um, the biggest thing I did was I decided to luxuriate in the basics of my life. So that means when I open my sock drawer, I dare you to find a sock with a hole in it. Mm. You, you, you cannot. You cannot because we don't have that here. Um, you know, because I think we get really stuck on the big moments. I'm going to get married in a beautiful wedding and like, everything will be perfect. One day I'll buy my dream vacation house and then I'll be happy. When I get the promotion, then things will be different. And it's like, you get this life right now, right this very second. You can make it a lot more joyful and happy just by focusing on the mundane details of your life because that actually is what your life is made up of. So if you want to shortcut all of this and help yourself get out of a scarcity mindset, I'd say take the basics of your life as the luxuries they are. Socks without holes, a made bed, a made bed, make your fucking bed. If you do nothing else, make your bed. Um, Sheets that aren't torn to shreds, the little things. Treat yourself like you would treat a guest in your home. Treat yourself like you'd treat your best friend. Treat yourself like you treat a little girl who needs to be comforted. And, and you can do that in the really most basic, basic habits of your day. 
Oh, I love it so much. I am definitely reevaluating my entire underwear drawer right <laughs> after this interview. Right yes. after this. Oh my gosh, Tara, thank you so much. I feel like you've given us so many great insights and I really want to encourage anybody listening to check out your book, Pimp Yourself Out. Where can we find more from you? Um, so on Instagram, I'm Tara Schuster. Um, and I do challenges. Like if this all sounds cool, but you're like, this sounds hard. <laughs> join us Join us there because as a group, we um, try different self-care tools. And then my website, taraschuster.com, I have a newsletter called Team Lilies, where it's again, it's like a community of people who... They're the kind of people who would like eye roll if you said like, get in touch with the universe, but they're totally down to try these things. So we're all trying these things together. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. All right, that is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know I really did. I want to give a big shout out to Tara Schuster for being our guest this week. If you want to check out her new book, Buy the Fucking Lilies, I have added it to our Amazon list, which is linked in show notes. Guys, every book we've ever mentioned on this podcast is added to that Amazon list. So if you're looking for some new beach reads, that is a really good place to check out. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in this week. I know there are a million podcasts out there. So I really, really appreciate you spending your time with me. And I'm just going to put it out there again. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, please make sure you're subscribed. And please, please leave a review if you haven't done so already. When you guys review this show or share it with your friends or better yet, post it on your stories, it keeps the show going. And we are going to be off the air for a while. So every little bit helps. All right. With that, I hope you all have such a good week this week. And I hope to see you back here next week for a brand new episode. Until then, I will see you next Tuesday.